and welcome to CoachCast by England Football Learning, the coaching podcast that brings you insight from people across the game. Today, we're chatting to Claire McDougall-Robinson, an FA Coach Development Officer, to discover her journey so far and how she's helping to grow the women's and girls' game. Hello everyone and welcome to CoachCast and as Jamie said we've got Claire with us today so hi Claire good to have you on. Let's make a start by finding out a little bit more about you. Could you tell us about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah that's fine so I'm one of the coach development officers at the Women's High Performance Centres. I'm based in Northumbria University which is the top, top north of the country. We're literally looking at a collaborative piece around the university and the football association to help talented potential coaches within the women's and girls game, providing a support network, education piece and development deployment within and around the community. Well, as this is a coaching podcast, Claire, before we delve in and find out all the intricacies about you and your coaching journey, listeners could be on the way to training right now. So we thought it'd be a good idea to give them some advice straight away that could help them at their next session that they might be on the way to. We'll then call this your arrival activity. What we're going to ask you to do is give us as many top coaching tips as you can in 30 seconds. So there's a little bit of a challenge element to that. It could be just general or it could be based upon working in a female game. So we'll leave it up to you to decide. You ready for that? Yep, love a game. Off we go. So keep it simple. Uh, That's probably the best thing, being adaptable, because you know your numbers are going to change. They're going to go up or go down. So have a plan A, B and C. Uh, Games are good. I always love a game, competition within the girls, especially in the girls' game, but also give them some empowerment. So let them choose some of the challenges. So it doesn't always have to come from you. So they can choose their own and try to help to increase that because that differentiated approach will help. Uh, Go back to games. Winning isn't a bad word. Brilliant. There was loads there. Just in. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of good tips there. I like competition. We'll get that number later, how many I give there. <laughs> we, <laughs> we should tell actually, you that. Yeah, yeah keep say. a bit of a competition between everyone that comes on. That's a good idea. <laughs> now then, let's dive in and find out all about your coaching journey. And first, we want to know, what was your first experience of football like? I'm of a certain age where women's and girls football wasn't you know, open and accessible as it is now. So my first experiences is literally watching my brother play. So we didn't have a girls team in terms of that. I wanted to play, couldn't play, and just did every other sport otherwise. I think I was 16, 17 when I had my first ever game experience. Um, So it's been about 24 years of involvement as a player. Uh, I'm not saying I was the best player. I certainly went through a stage of playing and wanted to do the right things, but what my body could do and what my mind wanted to do was two entirely separate Hence why coaching became kind of the available option. But again, in terms of workforce and recruitment around that, it was a volunteer role. It was a support area around that. It was mainly tied into education. I was a teacher and then at a college. And then I literally did the other bits around football around that, just simply because there wasn't the opportunity to have that, you know, uh, workforce or full-time job. Or fundamentally, we have to pay bills at a certain time of our age and life. But certainly from my point of view, I didn't have that down as a, a massive barrier. Because for me, I'm quite a self-driven person to go, well, let's, what, what am I accountable to? What can I go and affect that and change? And make sure that I was helping to reduce those barriers as much as I can and go out there and learn and develop and try to reach and meet and network as many opportunities as I could do to help be the best. I could be. Just going back to where you said that there wasn't really many opportunities to play, 
when this goes out, the tournament will have finished. But the Women's Euros is currently on. Do you feel like international tournaments positively impact the accessibility of the women's and the girls' game? I mean, it's been fantastic to watch and hopefully has a brilliant ending as well. Yeah, definitely. The platform, the visibility, and then accessibility to go and watch and view. And I know we can probably... You know, there wasn't a stadium that has been involved in around the northeast, but it was just over two and a bit hours away. Sheffield and Rotherham was still there in Manchester to go to. But it definitely set up a platform around watching players play. So having a player platform, but also having the managers and coaches role models around that. So you can see in the workforce now that are both female and male, all the top of the game are now two finalists or female managers have earned their rights to be there. So I'm now turning on the TV and, you know, my first instant on that first morning of the first game at Old Trafford, I was a bit taken back. And I'm like, oh, hang on, we're on BBC Breakfast, we're on Sky News. And, and then now it's the norm. So definitely that media presence is, is helpful. And then being able to accessible to watch it on TV, being on the main channels, and then even having family members and friends over in different countries, they can accessible watch it themselves. So it's not just within our country, the platform becomes worldwide. And having that tournament here is a massive privilege in terms of being in and around it myself, having been involved from the workforce, but actually having people being able to see it is just such a great visibility, both as players and I think as a workforce as well is really helpful. Do you think it'll uh, positively impact the grassroots game? Is that what you expect to see? Hopefully, yeah. So not in terms of even just from a playing point of view. So that platform has to be the legacy around all the areas that we need to be able to support what happens next. So it's not just a one-off and then nothing ever happens since. So the legacy around more opportunities to play. And it doesn't have to be gender specific. Just go play in a team. If you're good enough, be in it, be involved in it. If you haven't got a girls team, go just play for a team. Be inclusive in that environment. And that's in terms of the workforce now, just to help coaches just step over that sideline and we've got some real great workforce around that in terms of the Football Association who helps those that are just stepping over the sidelines to just create an environment for kids to go and learn, play, have fun primarily in a safe and fun environment to go and do that. And then those talented coaches who I work with is to try and help them and aspire and be better in club football environments. And the ones above me is then trying to help those even get better and be involved in around England pathway work as well. And so there's Great support mechanisms wherever you are in the game, wherever you want to be, and those opportunities, they can go and, and do that, really. You've done quite a lot in your career and, and achieved a lot of things. Would you be able to give the listeners a quick overview of like different roles and accomplishments you've had so far? I was in and around like uh, European under-19s championships. I've worked with the England Women Deaf Futsal team and we went and were um, European championships and world championships as well. So that's on the international front with a little side pathway around English schools. So I was in girls and under-15 national manager. I was helping girls who were probably bridging around the England talent pathway to help them, but also as a workforce development support as well, mentor. So those multidisciplinary team staff. So because I had that sports science background and being involved in around tournaments, giving them a bit of upskilling, whether it was from physios, goalkeeping coaches, assistant coaches, helping them not only their skill sets around on the pitch, but outside in terms of esteem and reassurance that, you know, they're doing some really good jobs. I was a technical director at Sunderland, so I worked at Sunderland for 14 years. Um, and part of that, I was Sunderland ladies manager. It, um, and we won the WSL2 as part of that team with the league, which was great experience for me to go and help and really challenge myself around a, a really strong team of staff that were there. And then that led me to this role. So I think 
I covered all primarily roles alongside, like I said, I was a primary teacher. So I was a teaching sport, BTEC and foundation degree for 10 years at a college. So this is kind of, other than my last two years at Sunderland when I was full-time, like this is kind of like a full-time role opportunity that's come about privy to trying to juggle three or four or five different jobs. My other main job is being a mum <laughs> to a little three-year-old. So that's a def- definitive job. So I'm still kind of juggling, but it's only two <laughs> rather than five or six at the same time. So if we go back right to the beginning again, what was it that started you on the journey for wanting to coach? I know you said it was kind of as a result of not playing, but was there anything about coaching that really interested you and then obviously taking it into teaching? I think any, it was funny because I made a comment to a colleague the other day and uh, my first ever job, I was selling mince pies and drinks at football stadiums. And within about a year, I ended up being a trainer. So I think I've always fell into kind of like leadership, supportive development roles. I think that's always been part in terms of like my personality, helping other, others learn, want to try to do that. But probably didn't, didn't really pick up on that until I actually literally had that conversation with my colleague. Went, oh, I started, I did start it off then and I did want to help others. So I think as a natural within me and who I am, I want other people to get better. Coaching fell into that. And then I kind of similarly teaching and coaching kind of aligned to each other in terms of a differentiated approach different in looking at environments and i think just the how process around the innovativeness the games people change cultural change social changes but it's just probably about the who is different how we help them out with those sort of fundamental things but i think fundamentally the emotive side of i do like to win <laughs> i do like games i do like competition and i, I think it did came with like a taboo word but i think the key thing is around just about the how in the process to that. And thinking about people and their differences, do you have any tips for engaging people so that they want to keep coming back and working hard for you? Or did you ever witness anything that any of your mentors did that you always wanted to replicate? I think it was just knowing that you care. And that takes time. Do you know what I mean? So I know it does take time. And, you know, you probably find a lot of coaches out there saying, like, I do more off the pitch than I do on it. <laughs> a little bit because you do find and I think just the little one-to-one chats and I, I definitely learned that I've had the flip side of being the robotics that everyone's not fitting in a box everyone's not black and white there's bits that are in the middle but definitely to engage them in terms of the, who they are I mean if, if we went away for a little um taunt we used to do every year a little festival thing just to help the girls prepare and we did a little side note around like things that we didn't know about them that we'd never know and that was my first ever experience to go wow these kids are actually like got other stuff going on and it, and it helps you connect more with them to do that and that really helps some of the relationship building like even now and I think you just relationship with them and their parents as well they're the key 24-7 so sometimes they might not always want to hear that conversation but if you're honest and they just know you're just trying your best that's all you can do you are literally there just creating an environment trying the best that you what you're doing with everything engaging them giving them that empowerment to the players to help them to let them know that they care we make mistakes but as long as the fundamental values about what are you trying to do it they're the key things and, and fundamentally the values around that is it's for them uh, and that's what you're trying to do i suppose both in i'll ask this question in frame of coaching and teaching do you find that environment is key to help learning happen i think key things around learning is making environments that are suited to the people in front of you not for you I think sometimes as a prevalence, we probably think I'm doing this for me and my benefit. It's actually for them. So what is it for them? But it's a kind of a bit of a 
Catch-22 as well. It's like, what do they know? What are the wants and needs? Because sometimes they'll go like, if you ask the players, like, what do you want to do? Shooting. What do you want? But then what are the needs? Could be two entirely different things. But then the cleverness around that is probably, well, I might set something up over a game where there's goals and that's what they want. But then actually I'm going to frame it around something else and the learning comes from that. I'm actually even be doing a defending session, but there's some shooting involved, but there's some links to it. So it's just kind of that cleverness around the kind of plan that it's, it looks like the game, it feels like the game, but then it's just helping them part of that process, really. Understand that not everything's going to be nice. There is going to be times where it's going to be tough and it's going to be hard and, you know, but there's reasons for that. We've got some real honest interviews from the players. Actually, at times there's been some difficulties, you know, and there's been some things that haven't gone well for them, but they've got to get through that to, to be who they are. And then we've got to have that as well. I think an honest, honest and vulnerability about ourselves. The more vulnerable we are and the humble that we are in terms of, you know, I'm going to try something, but it's going to fail or I'm going to make a mistake. The reasons why I'm trying it is the key. Like the key things, I'm trying something, but it might fail. But actually the reasons why I'm doing it was for the right reasons, if that makes sense. So you're just trying to figure things out. Could you tell us a little bit more about Northumbria University's uh, Women's High Performance Centre, like your role within it and how the High Performance Centre is, is helping to grow the women's and girls game at all? Yeah, so we have, well, our main role now is to recruit from within in terms of a student workforce. So in terms of the student productivity is to provide them with opportunities to network in and around the community-based clubs. So my locallys, I have Sunland and Durham regional talent clubs and then foundation clubs to go and try and help build a workforce and give them some employability structure. So within the studentship is to provide that support and opportunities. That's a key thing. It's giving them some opportunities for that. Um, the the wider being around that in terms of high-performing and talent coaches bit is to have kind of four key areas around helping those high-potential coaches within the women's and girls game. So there's a specific goalkeeping centre that we have from that there's like a twin track approach to it where there's a player development pathway and a coach development pathway to help coaches get better so I employ uh, an FA coach mentor specifically goalkeeping because we've got to sometimes realise where our skill sets are and where they're not so goalkeeping is not one of mine even though it's it's a passion about me and they work for me to help help coaches get better so they come in and they coach the girls who are come through on a coaching center the players get better because they get good coaching from goalkeeping coaches and secondly the coaches get better because they get the experiences with the players that are there in front of them so that's one area the other areas that support around the coaching network around the national leagues so around uh, we class it as tier three and tier four providing some regional and national coach development opportunities and support to them with the initial insights around some of the games so an example of what we've just done is provided a coach development workshop wrapped around some euro events so we've just done a counter-attacking for example within the female game give them some insights uh, how does that help them within their context and then also help them support around practice design models and helping them another works around some performance coach program about talent coaches and helping them with some one-to-one support in addition to kind of just the wrap around the elite talent pathway program so helping coaches specifically within regional club workforce around our area and to support what we need so hopefully everyone can know basically where you would fit and sit within the game with your grassroots coach a youth coach talented coach or a pro coach within the game specifically the women's game you know who your support is is um from i think and i feel reflective of that because when i was a coach kind of like where was my support where did it come from and when i was you know when i was going through so i had to go out and seek and find so we're now we're regionally set where i cover from east riding county fa across into cumberland fa from the north region so i have five five counties that i cover as well as the, the makeup of the clubs in and around there how can like players and coaches then get involved with the High Performance Centre? 
So one or two ways. So one is that they're a student at the university. So they're probably, we've, got, we've got a strong cohort of sport coaching students. But even not just the rest of that, because we offer things around like business event marketing. Like we are now looking at talent management programs where we need nutritionists, we need psychologists, we need performance analysts. So, you know, we're not just looking at coaching as a one area. We know it's one, but actually some of the offers and opportunities is around the, that whole multidisciplinary team. So we know that workforce is needed. So if you're involved in either Elite Talent Pathway, National Elite Club, obviously the goalkeeping is a one if you want some specific help and support. And then obviously there's that whole performance coach program. So it's specifically designed where they fit into that. If you don't fit in that model, there is someone else there you can go to through a provision of the county FA's coach club support programs um, and officers that are either above me in terms of the national coach development workforce or the coach development officers that are kind of running in our areas that work on that recruitment grassroots support and areas as well so we offer anything from especially now post-covid is online workshops we try and as much as i can i would love to be on the grass one-to-one but we have only so many hours in the day and so many traveling miles to do as well and so a hybrid of support network is there to help community practices where we can as well so actually sometimes the support doesn't all necessarily come from me it's the network of coaches within themselves that help each other and that's you know so hopefully that network can kind of be in help but literally yeah if, if you want to help support the opportunities are there that's probably the key thing to it but then go to your local women's high performance and like i said we've hopefully got enough now that kind of grasps the whole of the country uh, through those 10 that there should be someone there to help and aspire and support those that are involved in the women's game primarily as a workforce but then to help um, you know that's what you want to be we'll we'll provide stuff on for you mentorships internships opportunities shadowing games workshop games wraparound events that we've just done like I said with the Euros so hopefully we can give them a diverse learning environment to kind of help to engage because not everyone wants to sit in a classroom some people want to be on the pitch and see things as well Sounds like it'd be a really good opportunity to get involved in something like that So as you've coached across various levels and different age groups What would you say are the key differences that coaches need to have in mind if they start coaching older players compared to younger age groups? I think as we look at coaching in terms of your environments, like it's really key to try and be like inspirational and skillfully and set an environment that allows them for empowerment. I think that key thing is always in there, but an older age group should have a skill set to do that and be able to work it out and analytically do it. A young one, we have to help them through that because they're probably going to, definitely make mistakes you know their learning and cognitive element of that is is i'd say far less because they can still do a lot of things that sometimes i think we take a bit of ownership too much on but it's probably the process of the how is just building the blocks in between where the older group have got those blocks and they just need to fit the right ones in the younger one maybe just don't have that box just yet and we're just trying to help design of what it needs to be if it's square if it's round if it's rectangle i think that's probably my best analogy to do that but i think all of them love fun yeah all of them love games, all of the kind of competition. Probably in terms of how that engagement is different, you know, how you connect with them will be that slightly different to it. But then managing failure and managing mistakes, it's great for the winning, but also like how do we manage those that don't? Like what do they do? What's their reflectiveness? How do they chat in terms of that? Do they huff? Do they get into mistakes? Psychologically, if they don't win, you know, do they disengage? So if you want to try to help them get through that at points as well, like sometimes I've known some adults that just literally could become disengaged if they don't win. And it's like, well, actually, you're not going to win at everything. So we need to help that skill set out, you know, so deliberately in sessions, I would give them wrong decisions and 
poor referee and to go in just to help them and you'd see the red mist come and you're going to try and help them to get out of that red mist to do it but no I think it, the building blocks are there with the older ones but definitely they're not definitely not always there because you might find a little bit of gaps but they should be able to analytically pull things together and build it up the younger ones we might just help to formalize those blocks and kind of help them out so still problem solve and so they can put that in there but still being them part of the who and the what on the journey is part of that Keeping on kind of like the top tips theme, do you have any advice for coaches who are dealing with the balance of developing players but also chasing results? And we're putting this to you because it might, maybe it might be something you've experienced with Sunderland ladies. Yeah, it's the type of coach that we are. We have to understand that transactional is needed at times. Like results need to be there. So it's nice to be like, it's about the process and how, and it's not important about winning. That's why I said winning's still important. It's about the how. So I think when the key wrap around all that bit is probably reflectiveness and, and practical implications and accountability. The benefit now, you, have, you can just pick up a, a smartphone and you can film and record. And that's literally accountability in terms of what we see and actually not about well, what did you think about the game? And it's their subjectivity of what they know. So actually, go, did you see X, Y, and Z? So there's a real accountability now, like what have they done, how have they done it? And there's a bit of not necessarily hardship, but in terms of that, you know, if you pass succession rate, it wasn't as high as what it needed to be, then why like, why is that not happening? What's the real realism to that? And I think the key thing to all that is about making environments of their training is really realistic and relative to the game at what it looks like. So, you know, there's many a time a coach said, oh, well, the, it works in training, but they can't do it in a game. Then I'd probably question, what does that training environment look like? So has it, have you still got the same stresses on it? Have you still got, you know, if I'm giving them a bag of 40 footballs to have shooting practice in, well, actually, they only might only get eight shots in a game. Well, that's not then relevant and put to it. Um, you know, the simplicities of actually of how and what and where we're doing it is we don't need rocket science within the sessions. As long as you keep thinking, does it look like the game? Is it realistic to the game? And that should then help them through. And then that reflective model in terms of the why is then the helpful matter to keep the challenge process to it. Yeah. Developing players is a definite for me in terms of helping them to make mistakes. But I think the key thing is like everyone says that, oh, they like making mistakes. But then what they say in sometimes their body language around that's so, like, if I cross my arms, my body language is different. So the many coaches that might be around me who've been around coach development, like I don't like the word unlucky. So some of the symbols are language. You know, they've had a shot on goal. Oh, unlucky. Well, unless there's a beach ball or a cat that's run on your pitch, it's not unlucky. It's probably a wrong decision or like some technical information that needs to be better. So it's really, again, going back to that accountability around what's the why? Why did you maybe take that shot earlier? Why did you need that extra touch? Well, actually, you could have hit it first time, you know, because as we're seeing now within some of the euros, but some of the insights that we're getting, you know, if you don't take a first time touch, you're going to score a goal. So you don't need, so if you're going to take another one, you're going to reduce your percentage of actually scoring a goal. So at times we've got to be really accountable around to try and help them what it looks like, help them to refine it and make them educate and understand like the why. And that's really prevalent to the women's game because women would like to know why. So, you know, keep it simple uh, and make it look like their game. Like viewers is the game at the minute, like tournament football, international football, but that's not a six, seven, eight year old's game. That does not doesn't look what they look like on a Saturday or Sunday. So just be mindful what their game looks like. Looking back at your experiences then, Claire, um, can you talk to us about varying like the team's diet, uh, giving them a, a good volume and variety of games realistically? So giving them a problem or the context of it, but allowing them the freedom 
to express themselves, to have a go at things. So I know at the minute there is the term of the Russo, but doing the Russo, you can see kids now trying to back heel it in the goal. I mean, I was literally mid having a go at why she's had another shot and it's blocked and then she's suddenly back heeling it in and she's meant to play on the goalkeeper at the same time while I'm watching. I'm like, all right, that's better. <laughs> while I'm screaming and loving the goal going in. Now, has probably Russo failed at that many a time beforehand? Probably, yes. So actually, we need to be, you know, we'll come back again about the man manager mistakes to all but how she came up with that she's got to have had that construct in her head so inspiring them is actually just to give them some ownership in terms of like he might be the problem I might want to get you from A to B but to that bit in the middle like be creative in terms of how you do that like how do you want to get there how does it do it is it again being relevant to the female game as well so we've now got names of people coming about and seeing them so you know know, kids aren't just seeing it's the male advert of it which I'm not going against the male advert the game that's why I came up and around but now we have that platform for the women's game like use them and if you've got them great deliveries and shots and strikes or you know if it's a Mido it's a strike if it's a Russell it's being creative if it's a Fran it's a dribble do you know what I mean so we can now be relevant in terms of the players to create some creativity and we can probably help the players explore that and not try to kind of like pigeonhole them in terms of these little boxes and that's what I'm going to let you do and you're just going to pass the ball all the time. Well, actually, just be expressive in who you are and enjoy. And fundamentally, enjoy it. Enjoy it. That enjoyment is the inspiration of it. Just going out there, enjoying it, giving them accessibility to it, the opportunity to go and do it in school, out school, on a yard. Like The benefit of football, you don't need a lot of equipment, do we? So it's like literally a ball. Two courts, if that, you know, a wall, which you're going to annoy whoever the neighbour is on that wall, unless you're looking like it's going to be on a garage. There's not a lot of equipment that is necessarily needed for that, so we can inspire ourselves with the games. And many times, I remember when I was literally kicking the ball about with my brother, was we just made up games at the back garage. It was a garage, so it wasn't someone's wall. So thankfully, we weren't annoying neighbours at that time. But we'd make up games just and just to try and like hit certain spots on the garages and stuff on there and play like wooden soldier. And we literally just, if you weren't quick enough, you're going to get hit. So it seems really wrong at this moment in time, but it's like kids' games, you know, making up games as well can be quite as creative as what they are. Love that. We've got one more question, really, and then we'll go into the next section. Basically, for the listeners, what would your advice be to any aspiring coaches that might be tuning into this and thinking that they want to give it a try? You can. It's probably my, my key thing. You, you are your own self you know, advocate of that. Go out there. There's plenty of clubs out there that are wanting a workforce, needing a workforce. And certainly there's a cohort of players that have played, have come through. And from our bit, like, like I said, I was self-driven because it was like, well, there's only me that's going to stop me from doing what I want to do. And yes, there's other bit of context around some things on there. I had good good family support and good role modeling on the kind of like, just be who you want to be. Like, you know, like it's the opp- if you're going to get that opportunity, like it's, it's down to you. But I mean, now there'll be so much more localized like opportunities to that. And, and not even just a women's game, like just go and help the game be its game and then if you find that you're a little bit talented and you want to help some support county FAs have some great coach CBD opportunities and then like I said those high potential coaches hopefully I'll get to see you transitioning coming and being involved and there is now professionalisation in the game which is great like now you can go and see it and be it and do it full time so I my job I've just had the best time in my job and hopefully Sunday will literally finish it off for this last month of being in and around the game be helping the workforce get better utilising the tournament as it is to see it see the game, learn about the game, learning myself about the game around people and dealing with it. It's a great social. You get so much back from it all as well. To have the kids just say the thank yous and the gratitude and that they literally, like, you're, if it wasn't for you in a workforce, there wouldn't be 
them there and we're only one part to it and I've had many conversations about I was lucky enough that the players that are playing there in that squad and some who are in and around it I know them and but I'm one cog from PE teachers from family members from everything else who's put it into them is to get them into the pathway where they want to be be at we are one little bit to it but without that little one little bit of jigsaw piece you know who's to say what would have happened and provide the opportunity to them that was some really good advice there Claire thanks for that So the next section that we're going to take a look at is our community questions. So we have a lot of coaches who go on our England football community platform and they ask lots of questions where they're having challenges that they're trying to face in their coaching practice. So we often get asked about how to create a good environment, but with your role in mind in the High Performance Centre, could you tell us how you would create a high performance environment? I could give you some insight in terms of what we're doing with the goalkeeping centre. That could probably help. It's a weekly where we have both parent and player education. They have an individual learning plan, so that's key as well. So their individual learning, what the things that they want to learn. And again, going back to that kind of accountability. The coaches will then deliver the session to both parent and to player. Because fundamentally in goalkeepers, sometimes it's a hardship of a position because literally if you make a mistake, it's a goal. And fundamentally, they're kind of measured upon just the ball going in the back of the net at times. So we're trying to help educate parents in terms of also the players. And then the cricks of like the curriculum in terms of delivery. So, you know, um, whether it is dispersal around different throwing techniques, kicking, you know, the different ways of elements of it all, handling, footwork, dealing with crosses and that of such. So I think the key thing from our bit is to try to help educate the parent and the carer in terms of what they're looking for and the players as well. Then looking at the session, how is that linked to their learning plan? Then, you know, they'll do a warm-up and pre-rehab work to help. And I won't say prevention of injury because I actually just want them to play longer. Because I think if you say that, it's like a negative way of doing it. So all the kind of pre-work around strength and conditioning and support and girls, to, to particularly around that kind of cue angle bit around knees and hips. And you can see it's athletic. It's athletic ability now as the game's moving on in an environment. Giving them that in terms of, of pre-work, they will actually do some S&C conditioning on the pitch as well. So we do some bit of, bit of work around that in terms of those fundamental foundations to help the said build strength around glutes hips knees ankles on, on around and around mobility and then the delivery part in terms of high performance is giving them the key thing is actually the coach to ratio to the players so the eyes and lens on that so the so literally the coaches will work probably like one to three one to four and the mentor oversees that and then get to observe and be really like key in terms of how they see what they coach. And the tools are quite in, like the nice tools bits to it. So we've got GoPros, we've got video cameras, we've got analytical things that we can give some eye and view and again, what we see and how we help them. But in terms of obviously that kind of like high performance thing is really the detail in terms of it. So sessions aren't necessarily like fancy and lots of things and complicating things there's the simplicity of some of the sessions can be the most powerful but it's actually the detail and information that's involved within that you know what we see what lens do we look at so actually one coach might have one element that they're helping support with and we do a co-coaching bit where someone else is complementing that and we, and that's helpful and utilized hopefully in some kind of like outfield sessions as well so we utilize that within the goalkeeping and then once the session's done they go and review and reflect which is really important as well so what went well what would be some even better ifs and what would we change next time but we also do that as a workforce as well so it's can we help player empowerment can we get some peer feedback so it's not necessarily always the coaches as well just for examples so where they're taking some ownership and education around each other and say well 
you know, it's not just good. What is it? Like, what does she do? Like, is it footwork? Is it, is it actually decision making to make it that type of save? The communication, what you're communicating, how you're communicating it, which is a key one, especially with the goalkeepers. Um, not in front of 70,000 people because it's pretty loud on there at times, but fundamentally, it's how do we help that? Is it body language communication rather than actually verbal all the time as well so they would do that and the parents are part of that review and reflection as well so that sit in the car element where they just walked off and there wasn't that kind of classroom pre and post then the conversations would be completely different so the feedback we've been getting from parents and players is was really positive around kind of what they've learned their education the chats and discussions now become more informative educational and really lean towards actually because really that the whole learning should come away from us because they only they're only with us for like an hour and a 15 minutes when they're back out there in the clubs hopefully that will help evolve into there and then they take that learning plan away with them as well and like i said the first is the coaching workforce group so my bit is to help the coaches get better and develop is to help them provide the environments and we review and reflect ourselves and see you know, what can we've done better what can we be doing and i'm really privileged to have a really good group that works with me who really just want to learn to be better you know and be better in terms of what they do to then help players so they want to get better pretty much for the players themselves and that kind of like cyclical learning of that so you can have all the gadgets you can have all the technology you can have all the bits and be fancy around it but in terms of really high performance is knowing the detail and knowing what's there in front of you that is linked to them and their game and how they are and knowing them and then that information and lens and support and you know but fundamentally to get to that point you need to have experience and you need to get out on the grass and go and do it and being around people and learning around the right people as well. I have that openness to go and, you know, to go and do that. And, and for me, that's what I want to do is to help the, that workforce get better so our players get better. I am learning. Uh, you know, I constantly still learn because that the game is ever growing. The game is now at a point now where it will change and evolve, and culture will evolve, people evolve, social ways how they interact, how they learn, they want to evolve. I'll take on technology and I'll learn about that, and I'll try and utilize it best where we can. But f- the crux of it is the humanistic part of the interactions, the connections. The bit where we build the relationships is the human side. So that will always be prevalent to, to yes, the technology will be a lovely add-on, but those interpersonal skill sets are the key things that help that environment get better. Brilliant. That was absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much for that, Claire. Well, we are coming up to the end of the show now, but regular listeners will know that that means it's time for a swift session. So like at the top of the show, this is another 30 second challenge, but this time we're going to ask you to describe a session idea, but in 30 seconds. So it may be one that you've tried before or one that you're thinking of trying. We'll set up a timer that will let you know when your time's up. So are you ready for the challenge? Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So the timer is on. And your time starts now. Well, it's a finishing session, uh, like crossing, but actually we're going to look at how more female games crossing is done. So we're inverted V. So it's two 18-yard boxes, uh, a little V-line funnel line. So the players will drive inside and they will look at either um, sweaty pullbacks, little driven ones, little decision-making on how they can link and combine to go and shoot and finish. Um, as well as that becomes prevalent more and more in the women's game. Uh, so it should help strikers, crosses, seven lines and tens in a game and goalkeepers to help defend. Pretty good. Yeah, just right squeeze that right, right, right any... on the whistle. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to add to that at all? Uh, probably more, more detail around it, but no, hopefully people got an idea of what the session was. 
it sounded good to me and just right in there definitely well thank you very much Claire I really appreciate your time coming on and it's been fascinating listening to to your experience and getting lots of top tips from you brilliant thank you very much and hopefully um, yeah there's some insights for people to help and get them get better but I've enjoyed that nice challenge for me thank you brilliant it's great to hear right that's all we have time for today but don't forget to check out the episode description for all the links to our platforms there you'll be able to click through to the england football community this is where you can post your coaching questions for us to discuss on the podcast or just simply connect with loads of wonderful coaches yep we'd really love to help you out with your coaching questions so please do go and have a look We'll be back soon with another episode of CoachCast. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss an episode. And from all of us at England Football Learning, thanks for listening.